All right, folks, welcome in. Our Mizzou game plan is on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, Ben Fredrickson back with me as he puts his uh, college football and basketball hat on for the next hour as he had his soccer hat on earlier in the night on what was a very tumultuous week in Columbia. Desiree Reed-Francois leaves. What's next for the Tigers? We talked a lot about that last night. Check out our Winners and Losers show if you missed it. Go to, uh, well, if you're listening on the app, it's right there. If you're listening on the air right now, go to the app. Check it out or go to KTRS.com or find our Apple podcast. It's all right there, and you can listen to the show in its entirety. We talked about a lot of the winners and losers and the fallout, Ben, from Desiree's move. And, again, the one guy that's sitting there like, what What about me is Dennis Gates and and his uh, roller coaster tenure at Mizzou winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time in a long time last year, now sitting at 0-13. It's Tigers in Fayetteville to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks, and Arkansas starting to play a little better ball, Ben. Mizzou playing better ball since Sean East came back this past week. Both games, I mean, let's call the spade a spade, at Ole Miss and home against Tennessee. The Tigers played reasonably well both times out, they can't close the deal, and that's been the story about this team all season long. And Ben, I think it also illustrates a point I've made uh, a couple of times: just not enough guys doing the work. It's it's Sean East, it's Tamar Bates, it's one or two other guys maybe on a given night, but it's just it hasn't been the full deck of cards, Ben. I it's been maybe going all the way back to the Wichita game or the Pittsburgh game before that. It's happened so infrequently this year that even brilliant performances, whether it's Sean East or Tamar Bates, they're never enough, Ben, to lift this team over the finish line. Yeah, it's tough when you're getting six points you know, off your, uh, off your bench. Right. Um, and you're getting outscored by, what, you know, 20 points in, your, in the bench game. you got two scorers who had 20-plus points, and no one else had more than Nick Honors 10. Um, it's just not enough. Nope. They, they, need, they, need a, they, need a, they either need the top two to score more, whoever, the, whoever it is that night, or they, they need more help from, from other guys. Um, I was uh, encouraged by their tenacity against Tennessee early. Yeah. That was yeah. the kind of game that, man, I think if you're Dennis Gates um, – you you show this to your team and you say okay yeah you didn't beat number five Tennessee but this is what happens this is how you can come close when you do things a little bit tougher in the areas of weakness they rebounded right there with Tennessee they lost the rebounding margin by five they played I think better defense than we've seen them play at times especially in the first half limiting Tennessee to just 26 points that got away from them a little bit in the second half, but their defense, their commitment defensively was as good early as, as we've seen this season. Um, and I think I think Mabor Mejak really kind of encapsulated that early in the game. He was bringing energy. He was bringing a, a defensive um, difference-making. He grabbed five rebounds in 22 minutes. He didn't do anything else. He didn't score a point, but he brought some energy that we really kind of, I think, seen them lacking. So, I'm running out of ways to say this, but there were moments of that game where you go, okay, they're not going to win this game probably, but if they if they do bring that kind of game like they've had the last couple times out, 
with Sean East back as their leading scorer in the past two games, then that increases their chance of, of getting one of these wins. But here's the deal, man. you got to win Saturday at Arkansas, or you got to probably win on the road for you to finish out your regular season on March 9th, because I don't think you're winning any of the ones in between. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would tend to agree. Although at this point, Ben, I the likelihood of their of them winning is so small. I whether they win against a good team or a bad team, I I think it's going to be so random if they do. At this point, I could see them winning at Florida. I could see them winning home against Auburn. Just as likely as winning <laughs> at LSU. And this this team has they first of all they've played better on the road. They also seem to get up maybe for for some of the better teams like they did there against Tennessee a couple of nights ago. I just I mean Ben, it's getting to the point now where they very well could be zero and eighteen in the league when it's all said and done and, and get bounced in the first day of the SEC tournament. The collateral damage of that, I mean, right now, how, how different is it from winning zero and winning two games? I actually think it's, I think it could be a massive difference. We talked about the momentum heading into next year. It's just something you don't want to have to wear, Ben. It's like getting no hit in baseball. You don't want right. to be that team. You want to get that, you want to scrap out that hit in the in the bottom of the ninth inning to prevent the other team from celebrating a, a, a baseball milestone. You don't want to be the milestone for the absolute worst possible reasons. Absolutely, um, but it also sounds <laughs> excuse me crazy to, to to talk about you know play to get that one win, but that's really where they're at. There's, yeah. there's nothing else to there's nothing else to 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 play for for this team, and to to not be the team that didn't win a game, <laughs> and to not be the team that also let's let's throw this in there to not be the team that sets the program record for losing streak. That's one loss away. If they lose at Arkansas, they will be the team that has the longest longest losing streak in program history. So to be the team that snapped an NCAA tournament winless streak for that lasted more than a decade, <laughs> one season, and then being the team that excuse me, the team that sets the program worst losing streak the following season, that's not really something you want to avoid. Be one of the three teams that has a 13-game losing streak. That has a lot better <laughs> ring to it uh, than, than being the team that stands alone for, for worst losing streak. And, yes, it tells you a lot about this season that that's, uh, that that's what's at stake and that that's what they're playing to, to try to avoid. Um, look, I'll say this, looking for, looking for things that maybe uh, can be talked about somewhat positively about this season – I think Dennis Gates was smart for his stunt in the postgame presser the other night. I, I, we haven't talked a ton about it, but he goes and uh, uses a very rare um, curse word for him, very usually well, um, very, very kind of uh, buttoned up and kind of straight shooter, straight laced in his postgame comments. Very rare to hear him criticize his team or players in any way. And he didn't go full Rick Patino where he was just, trashing his roster and assistant coaches, but we heard him say, finally, putting a, a point on it, that he's not complaining about these officials not calling fouls. He's so irate at his team for not being able to create any free throws or create enough free throws. But it, 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 I think it was almost kind of like Dennis Gates as a human, and, and it was probably, in some ways, for folks still paying attention, it was probably well-received because he is showing the frustration as opposed to pretending like he's above it all. He got pretty real, 
And I don't know if it, it won't score him points on the court, but I, I do think in some ways some people finally said, okay, yeah, that's, he, he is, he is boiling. He is mad about this. And sometimes showing a little, uh, a little, uh, well, in baseball, they'd call it red tail. Um, showing a little, uh, showing a little, uh, anger sometimes is a good thing. And it's funny, they got to the line 21 times, but it's only three players. East, 11, Carter, 8, Carolero, Martin, twice. Nobody else got to the free throw line. He's right. They're terrible at drawing fouls. And I kind of wish he would have said that a long time ago, Ben, because we've been saying it for weeks. Oh we've been saying it all season long. Heck, you mentioned it going all the way back to the Illinois game. It's something that this team cannot do, does not do, somewhere in between. And we've seen it. We know he's seen it. So for me, it's almost a little too little too late. And I just hope it's not a, a, a desperation move because it does seem out of character from a guy that I mean never showed an emotion last season. And things are obviously very different right now. But uh, I, I may see it a little differently from you, than you do. It, it's almost as if um, it's uh, maybe time to send up an alert signal here because this is uh, well, this is going the wrong the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he shows up to the next game without a tie on, we'll know he's really uh, he's really uh, down in the dumps. But uh, I mean, look, we're looking for we're looking for storylines that aren't that aren't the same as saying, look, they don't defend well, they don't score enough, and they don't rebound well. Well, that's that's pretty much what it is, folks. And it is really hard to lose this many games in a row. And I and I've written about it. You and I talked about it. I think that that reality. The fact, I mean, there are bad teams in this league that aren't don't have nearly as long of losing streaks as this team. Why is it? It's because the way that they are playing, it's really hard to win. The way that they are playing this season, it's really hard to win, even when they play kind of well. Because when you don't rebound and you don't defend well and you don't, you're not a prolific scoring team, and you don't value the basketball, those are like number one trap areas of ways to lose games. There are a reason that these statistics are highlighted. And you may be a team that can not do those things great if you do them okay, but then you do other things super well. And this team doesn't do that. And some of the areas that they're weak in, they are really weak. And and that's a tough way to win. And we see that play out in all kinds of different scenarios again and again. So, yeah, it's got to be personnel it's got to be roster improvement but it's also i think maybe needs to be a little bit of emphasis and and style tweaks because some of the things that they're doing make it really hard even if they did have a better a better way of scoring well let's get some quick picks in here ben let's start with this mizzou arkansas game tomorrow early tip 11 a.m arkansas they just come off a win at AM. But they're also really bad, and I think yeah. their season's even more egregious than Mizzou's because we both sure. picked them for the Final Four. There were a lot of high hopes. We weren't the only ones to do that, by the way. Um, they're 500. They're not making the tournament unless they win down in Nashville. Early, sleepy tip time. Give me Mizzou, Ben. They uh, they avoid history and, uh, and and get it done tomorrow morning. I've, I've said it too many times, but I'm going to try to say it again. <laughs> Let's wish it into existence. Sure, I got, they got smacked by Arkansas at Mizzou Arena. They did, and, and I and I, I I agree. Arkansas has been massively disappointing. But here's what scares me about this matchup and this rematch again: Arkansas is is long and athletic and rangy and all the kind of athletic things that Missouri isn't, and, and I think that shows up again in the rematch. So I'm going to pick Arkansas, man. This team this team's going to have to win a game before I pick them to win one. Up to that point, <laughs> that's that's understandable. A couple other ones: Big Twelve. 
Big one tomorrow. Houston, number two team in the country at number 11, Baylor. Ben, some thoughts? Yeah, gut says go with the home team, but Houston's defense is just so good um, that uh, I think I'll, I think I'll take the Cougs here. But this is uh, this is the game to watch in, in the country. There's there's not a, an absolute uh, barn burner of awesome games this weekend, no. but this one is the if you're looking at the top 25 matchups, this is the game that's going to have. Uh, have everybody's eyes on it nationwide. And it also tips at 11 tomorrow on CBS. I like Baylor. I think uh, Baylor is a team I will target in the Final Four. Love their guard play, and I think they do just enough to get by Houston with it being down in Waco. Give me the Bears. How about uh, in the SEC, Kentucky-Alabama? Man, Alabama's looking very good right now, Ben. Their offense is so electric. Kentucky, depends maybe on when you get them. They are Probably the most talented team in the country when you talk about athleticism. Uh, they're not the best basketball team, though. So how do you see this one shaking out? <laughs> I was confused by LSU rushing the court after they beat Kentucky. Um, <laughs> that, that seemed odd to me. I mean, Kentucky's got five conference losses. They're 18-8. and eight. They're, they're good, but they're ranked 17th. But they're not like – they're not the, some of the Kentucky teams we've seen – I like Kentucky here, um, and and I and I like it because it, it, it's at it's at Kentucky, and they're coming off of that LSU loss. They're going to be focused. They're going to be fired up. They haven't been on on a tailspin. They've just been a little sporadic. Um, Alabama's playing well. They've won three in a row, but the last time they they lost was at on the road at a tough place to play. They lost at Auburn. I think Kentucky could bring that kind of atmosphere. So I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the home team here. I really like Kentucky too and Alabama. I, I think they're going to be a I I I'd love to see them make a run in March because they're a fun team to watch, but I don't know if they quite defend enough in a hostile road environment. They just give up too many points. They might score 90 tomorrow, but they're probably going to give up somewhere in the neighborhood of 95 or 96. I like Kentucky feel really good about that pick. Some quick picks for you here, talking some hoops. We're talking football the rest of the show. Blake Topmeyer, some opinions on what Mizzou did this week coming up. And then our final head-to-head debate. We've we've been building this up for months. The playoff versus the expanded playoff versus the BCS versus whatever used to be in college football. Where the heck are we going? Ben and I square off, and that's coming up. All right, we're pleased to welcome back to the show uh, our good pal covers the, the world of college football for USA Today Sports, covers the SEC. Always great thoughts from Blake Topmeyer. He's with us now. Blake, how are you? I'm doing well. You guys? We're great. Thanks for taking a few minutes. And, you know, we kind of wanted to start out. You're in this unique position covering college football at large, really focusing on the SEC, but you had a good good amount of time covering Mizzou. And I'm curious what your thoughts are this week as we hear Desiree Reed francois uh, elects to leave the school sort of <laughs> – uh, like a, like a you know a, a two ships passing in the night, she's gone, and um, suddenly the, the the school and their fans are wondering, okay, she goes to a lesser conference, a lesser school, a school with a budget shortfall, leaving the SEC and accomplishing some things at Mizzou. What was your initial takeaway? I mean, I think it's a, a bad break for Missouri. I think Desiree. Uh, you know, whether it was all because of her, probably not, but to some degree it was because of her. I mean, the athletic department uh, seems to be from the outside looking in in pretty good shape right now. 
Uh, obviously, I'd, I'd uh, read the coverage in, in Ben's post-dispatch there about the uh, $62 million uh, donation to the athletic department recently, right? And there's a lot of momentum uh, going on within that football program. I know Eli Drinkwitz uh, was not someone that she hired. She inherited uh, Drink, but still, they, they seem to have some momentum there uh, between behind a coach uh, coming off of a, a really good season and an AD um, who seemed to be, you know, the head of the operation as far as fundraising, doing a strong job there. So, yeah, I think for Missouri's case, from my perspective, you wouldn't want an AD change right now. And it's, uh, it's a little bit of an ugly sight to have an AD from an SEC school leave for what will now be what Arizona's going into the Big 12 and Arizona's uh, athletic department financially is underwater. Uh, yeah, it's not a it's not a great look for Missouri, and and I don't think if you're a Missouri fan, it's what you should want. Like, um, you know, if things are going fine in your athletic department, if fundraising is okay, um, if you don't need a bunch of coaching changes, particularly in, in football, uh, I think you'd rather stay with the status quo when it comes to your athletic director. I, I told this to Ben last night, Blake. I, I feel like if if all the circumstances are right, I mean, this is a potential top fifteen job in America at Mizzou right now, but. With, with all of these extenuating circumstances, I, I, I'm not sure how outsiders would view it. Do you think this is a job, uh, an up-and-coming AD, or even a, a an AD at a powerful school? Is this a job that somebody wants? I think if you're an AD outside the power, too, uh, you should have a lot of interest in this job. I think if you're working within the power, too, um, you're probably not looking to jump to Missouri uh, unless you need to restart your clock. Um, and, and for Missouri's sake, why would you want to hire someone that, that needs to restart their clock? Although we've seen that happen elsewhere. I mean, Ohio State hired Ross Bjork from Texas A&M, who probably needed to re- restart his clock, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and lo and behold, Ohio State offered him a spot to do it. So we have seen that happen in the past. But, no, I think if you're, um, you know, if you're a Big 12, even though Desiree just left the SEC for the Big 12, I, I mentioned I think that's unusual. You know, if you're a Big 12 AD, if you're an ACC AD, certainly a group of five AD, um, I think Missouri should look like a very attractive destination. If you're the number two person, you know, in that number two post, a deputy position within a power two job, I think Missouri could look uh, very appealing. I just, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of power two ADs that are going to leave uh, a good position, you know, within the SEC or the Big Ten uh, for Missouri. Anybody you would get from one of those two conferences, like I said, uh, would be someone who probably needs to restart the clock. But every now and then, I do think you can get a good athletic director who, for whatever reason, maybe didn't hire the right football coach or what have you at a previous school, um, and, and maybe they need to, to start fresh somewhere else and stay one step ahead of the posse, and you can get a good AD there. So, yeah, I think Missouri has multiple avenues they could they could go down. Um, and anytime you're in, you know, it's an SEC or a Big Ten job, you're going to get qualified applicants. Yeah, the money will be there, and the football program's in pretty good shape. Those are two good things to have if you're trying to hire an AD. But, like, you have a unique perspective because you've covered Mizzou. Now you cover all of the SEC programs. I remember going from Mizzou to cover Tennessee and realizing, okay, things are different down here. Every every SEC or every Power 2 program kind of has its own uh, you know, organizational chart, its own its own chart in terms of who makes calls. A lot of times it's the president of the university, then the AD, um, or maybe a chancellor. So Missouri has 
a lot of, by design, a lot of people of influence. It's the obviously the chancellor, it's the it's the athletic director, but then there's the board of curators. Compared to um, compared to other universities, like say a Tennessee, the board doesn't have that much influence. It's unique at Missouri, isn't it? And we know that was one thing that there was friction with Desiree Reed Francois and the board of curators. This is not new at a Mizzou. AD that deals with this. Mike Alden went to battle with the curators many times. Jim Sturck didn't even hire the football coach he wanted because of the zoo's curators, and maybe they were right in leading him to Eli Drinkets. What do you make of how much influence curators have at Mizzou and also how the right candidate is going to have to get them on board or else they're going to be limited in some way? Yeah, it's so true. I do think when you look at other, uh, say, SEC um, you know, posts, the curators have way more influence at Missouri than they do um, you know, in a lot of these other SEC situations, uh, I don't know specifically with the Big Ten because I really haven't spent much time covering that conference. But certainly in the SEC, um, you know, the AD at most schools has uh, a lot of authority, and the person that trumps them usually is the chancellor slash president. Um, but in a lot of places, the curators or trustees or whatever you want to call them uh, don't really get in the way much, and, and in some places they don't even have to approve. Hiring, they don't even get to approve contracts. Uh, you know, you mentioned Tennessee. The, the curators, uh, a contract doesn't go before the curators at Tennessee. You need the president to sign on to it, the AD to sign on to it, uh, and the coach and the coach's agent to sign on to it. Um, and so you're right about Missouri, um, it, the, the situation that they are in, uh, and the curators, it, it kind of sometimes to me always came across as like the parking lot attendant. You give them like one ounce of power, uh, and they think they run the city. You know, they, they run every parking lot in the city. Uh, they're, they are the chief of police uh, because they're the parking lot attendant. That, to me, is Missouri's curators. Um, they, they've gotten this ounce of power, and they um, and they try to run as far as they can with it. And, and you're right. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. You know more about the situation with Desiree than I do, but uh, I think you're spot on with Jim Sturg. Uh, his situation, um, you know, wasn't always – he was not always in lockstep with the curators, or maybe I'd say the other way around. The curators were not always in lockstep with – with Jim Sterk and um, Mike Alden played that game for a very, very long time and did it pretty well. And uh, to your point, maybe things weren't always in perfect harmony, but um, more times than not, they could strike a balance there, I think. And so you do wonder, does this hire come from the Alden tree? I mean, he, he's got tentacles pretty far reaching into, into college sports uh, or even someone maybe who didn't work specifically for Alden, but came after him. Such as a Ren Baker, such as a uh, as a Brian White, who's at Florida Atlanta. Uh, excuse me, Florida Atlantic. Um, there are a lot of people out there in high-ranking um, athletic department posts who have Missouri ties. I don't necessarily think that's always the way to go with with a hire. I do think uh, there's a lot to be said for outside hire, fresh ideas. Um, you know, maybe someone who uh, isn't bogged down by the past. However, with that situation at Missouri, um, you know, having Having an in with the curators, having a, a good relationship with the curators, uh, would make things go a lot more easily. I think with that athletic department. On an optimistic note, and I've covered, you know, I left when I left Tennessee. There was I was covering the year of Donnie Tyndall as basketball coach, <laughs> um, which was probably one of the worst hires ever in the history of high major college sports. And Butch Jones was wrapping up his. Uh, is uh, underwhelming performance there at Tennessee, and and now you look at Tennessee and Rick Barnes is is churning out you know impressive basketball seasons and 
Josh Heupel's got it rolling. There's real momentum behind the baseball team. You've got a, uh, an impactful AD. And there seems to be that much discussed but rarely found synergy at Tennessee. There can be an example of a, of a campus that's kind of known for dysfunction getting it together if it gets all these major players in line. That's got to be the goal for Mizzou here, right? It does, but I do think the, the situations are different, like we were talking about. You know, in, in Tennessee, it was out of harmony for a long time. Uh, but really the game changer was when they got a new president and chancellor, um, and, and those two are in lockstep and have been uh, since, they, uh, uh, since they were put into those posts. And their president um, is part of the GOP machine. He was, uh, you know, Bill ha- he's uh, an ally of Bill Haslam, the former two-term governor uh, of Tennessee. I'm talking about President Randy Boyd. Uh, Randy Boyd then ran for governor uh, to become Bill Haslam's replacement. He did not win the GOP primary, uh, and so he did not win the governorship. Well, then lo and behold, he's appointed as the president of Tennessee. Well, who are the major boosters for Tennessee? It's the Haslam. So Randy Boyd is a Haslam guy, right? Like I said, he was an ally of the former two-term governor, uh, the popular two-term governor, Bill Haslam. So um, once they got Randy Boyd in place, uh, who has done a very good job there, everything else kind of fell in line. Um, But... Again, you don't have the trustees at Tennessee uh, having the type of influence um, that they have uh, at, at Missouri. So at Tennessee, I think it was as simple as uh, getting a, a president and a chancellor uh, in, in power who knew what they were doing, um, who had some relationships with the important stakeholders um, around the state of Tennessee, and, and then you know making a pretty good football hire, and everything else kind of took care of itself. Uh, the situations are are different there uh, between the two schools. Blake Topmeyer with us covers the SEC for the USA Today and USA Today Network. Is we talk about Mizzou's situation and it's a fascinating one that will play out in the days and weeks to come. Something that continues to play out and and what's funny it it looked as if we were set for better or for worse a twelve team college football playoff. Blake set to begin next season, and it is, all systems go, but suddenly now we're hearing talk that in the short maybe two years to follow, we could be talking about a 14 or 16 team playoff. Uh, Blake, what should we make of this? We should make that the guys with uh, all the power and all the influence uh, in college sports, those being Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, and Tony Petiti, commissioner of the Big Ten, uh, want even more power, influence, and wouldn't you guess it, money, right? Uh, the Big Ten and the SEC are currently eligible to claim up to 75% of the spots in this 12-team playoff. There are three spots that they cannot get. There are three automatic bids that have to go to teams from outside uh, the SEC and the Big Ten. So what would be even better than 75% of the access? Well, how about up to 100 of the access. If you had a playoff format with all at-large bids, the SEC and the Big Ten would be eligible to claim all the spots. Or how about a 14-team playoff uh, in which the SEC and the Big Ten could combine for 11 of the 14 bids? This is um, We've seen this from Greg Sankey for years now. He knows he's the most influential commissioner. He knows he might be the most powerful guy in all of college sports. And he uses that to his advantage and to the SEC's advantage 
time and time again. That's very good for the SEC. Um, we could have a great debate about whether that's good for college sports. I tend to think that it's not. Um, but that's Greg Sankey's not employed to look out for what's good for college sports. <laughs> He's employed to look out for what's good for, for his conference. Um, we saw this two years ago. If we remember, you know, when there were ongoing negotiations for the playoff two years ago, Greg Sankey was adamantly opposed for an eight-team playoff uh, that would have had five or six automatic bids because that, that didn't do anything for his conference. And he threatened to pack up his toys and go home and play in his own sandbox if he didn't get his way. He said very clearly in 2022 that if he didn't get what he wanted, the SEC was going to stage its own playoff. Do I believe him? I'm not sure. I don't think that's what Greg Sankey really wanted. Um, however, the threat of that and the power that the SEC has was enough that Greg Sankey got his way. He got a 12-team playoff, which is what he wanted. Then when the Pac-12 crumbled, Greg Sankey, the, the dirt wasn't even settled yet on the Pac-12's grave, and Greg Sankey said, you know what, I think we need to uh, uh, refigure what we're going to do with that Pac-12 bid. Let's make it an at-large bid um, so everybody's eligible for it, which really means that it's going to go to the SEC or the Big Ten. What got approved this week? An additional at-large bid what Greg Sankey wanted. So whatever he wants, and maybe to a certain extent, Tody Titi of the Big Ten, that's what's going to happen uh, with this college football playoff. Uh, I think it's going to continue to expand. I think more and more of the revenues are going to continue to flow into those two conferences. I don't think they're going to break away entirely. We've heard that idea that these two conferences could totally break away, stage their own playoff. I don't think they need to. Um, they can still work within the system and just hijack the system for themselves, uh, you can you can have a college football playoff where everybody is uh, quote unquote eligible for it, um, but 80% of the qualifications and 80% of the revenues go to the SEC and the Big Ten. I think that's what we're headed for. Ben, final Blake, question from you. I gotta say, um, I agree with everything you said. Greg Sankey with these guys is like watching Yao Ming play basketball against first graders, and the Big Ten is literally just riding on his back, hoping that he doesn't doesn't decide to step on their head next. Um, it is it is there's no one who can touch him, and unfortunately, I agree. I wish he was the commissioner of college football instead of the commissioner of the SEC, because I think he would oftentimes sing a different tune. I'll, I'll stop here. Um, we and I talked a lot about the playoff. I, 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 the three of us, I think, are are honored by by my duty to stand up and say they cannot expand March Madness. We must die on this hill. Blake, you've written about it. If they want to make a 14-team college football playoff or whatever, but they just for the love of God, please leave March Madness and the NCAA tournament alone. Yeah, I completely agree. As you said, I wrote about this recently, and, and uh, the feedback I got from fans was overwhelming, and it was almost unanimous of, as you just said it, please money-grubbing, soul-sucking commissioners. Do whatever you have to do with football to keep yourselves happy, to keep your coffers full, um, but please leave March Madness alone. But I, I don't know if we're going to get it. I mean, um, it's one of those things that, like, from a fan perspective, from an athlete perspective, even from a coach perspective, no one really needs or wants this to change, uh, but if, if there's more money that could be squeezed out of this cash cow, uh, I, I think you know the, the, the guys who are who are uh, looking into their uh, uh, their bank accounts and their conferences bank accounts uh, are going to try to do it. And um, I don't think that would necessarily ruin the tournament, but it's it's wholly unnecessary. And I don't believe for a second that if we add 
you know, 12 extra bids or 20 extra bids, that most of those extra bids are going to be going to the mid-majors. Totally uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. You're going to get the ninth and 10th best team in the Big 12 <laughs> with an 18 and 14 record uh, limping into the tournament. And what it's going to be is it's going to take some of the charm away from the tournament. It's going to make it even harder for a team like FAU uh, to go from first round to final four because, you know, the, the percentage of mid-majors would decrease. Not, not necessarily the number of mid-majors, but the percentage of the field that they make up um, you know, would decrease as compared to what it is now because, like I said, the majority of those extra bids, we all know, are going to go to the Power Four. Uh, I don't think the tournament needs it. Fans that I've heard from, uh, I'm sure you guys hear from them, they don't think the tournament needs it. I don't think the athletes think the tournament needs it. The only people that think it, that, that it's necessary, um, like I said, are the ones that are uh, responsible for counting uh, how many zeros uh, in revenue are, are coming toward their leagues and, by extension, into their pockets as well. Blake Topmeyer, USA Today Sports, covers the SEC and college sports. Blake, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us here in St. Louis, as always. It's great fun. Yeah, absolutely. Good talking to you guys. Blake, thanks. We've got some more thoughts on the possible expansion of the football playoff, the long-rumored showdown. It's coming up next here. It's our Mizzou game plan on the Big 550. All right, winding down our Mizzou game plan tonight. Brendan, Ben, Fred with you. And and finally, a, a, a little parcel of land, Ben, for us to go and talk about what we've been talking about for weeks and months and maybe even years when it comes down to the college football playoff. And I am – obviously, this is not a new take for me. I, I hate where everything is going in college football hate the expanded playoff, wasn't a big fan of the 14 playoff, but it's better than what's coming down the line. I want, I want to help you see the light, Ben. How can I do that? <laughs> well, you, you are already up to your uh, typical shenanigans where you're uh, <laughs> taking my endorsement of the 12-team uh, college football playoff and, and, and assuming that I'm, that I'm just because I like that idea that I'm always uh, going to be on board with it getting bigger and bigger. Um, I, I don't love that before we've even seen what a 12-team college football playoff could look like, there are all these reports of uh, a potential 14 bracket or even as, as much as 16. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but it, it's not surprising that the power brokers that were too dense to expand the 14 playoff in a reasonable amount of time are now trying to hammer the gas now that they found it and speed past what would be a sensible expansion of it to get to a 12-team. But I think you're of the mindset that it's black or white. Either you're for it getting bigger or you're for it staying the way it is. And, and, and to that degree, I can, uh, I can see where you're coming from, perhaps. And I think I've waved my, I waved my white flag a couple of months ago and, and knowing what was – I mean, right? I mean, it, it's, it had already been set in motion. We, we, Playoff was expanding this upcoming season. I understand that. But, I mean, we all see what's happening. You can't reduce the number of teams that are capable of making the playoff and then increase the number of teams that actually make the playoff. And then you get these bozos talking about we need three or four automatic bids per SEC and Big Ten. (laughs) 
I mean, what what planet are we living on where that sounds like a good idea? These two leagues are already going to rule the roost. They'll probably get three or four in anyway. They might even get five in, in some years, Ben, the way this is all laid out. So why do we need to automatically give them these seats in the playoff? That That is absolute bull, bull roar, Ben, if, if, if dare I say. Uh it just seems so out of bounds, and we again we haven't even played a twelve-team playoff yet, and we're already talking fourteen and sixteen. It's insanity to me. And if anything, the fact that we are that we are condensing and uh, basically bringing this entire. NCAA, FBS, Division One, as, as we like to call it, and we're condensing it down to two or three conferences. If anything, we should be talking about shrinking the playoff and just bringing it right back to where we were because you, you cannot increase the size but decrease the pool of teams that can actually make it, and that's what we're doing here. I understand these next couple of years um, – it's going to seem okay, and I think these first two years might actually be pretty good because the Mountain West exists. They're going to maybe merge with the Pac-12. You still have the ACC, the Big 12. But let's not kid ourselves. In a few years, that's all going to be gone, and we're going to be left with nothing. Uh, nothing but the SEC, Big 10, and maybe another super Big 12. If that's the case, we don't need a 12-team or 14 or 16-team playoff, Ben. We need to go back with what we just had, a four-teamer, and call it a day. Yeah, I, I think that I wish there was someone in the room who would have proposed a rule of saying we have to play whatever we agree to um, three times before we can consider expanding it. Um, that would be that would be at least give you three years of evidence to say, okay, this works, this doesn't work. We need this is the right side that isn't. Um, the problem is this model, this twelve team model it's going to reflect what the landscape of college football is, and that's changing every day. I mean, if you and I were to say, okay, here's the perfect playoff format for the current state of college football, a month goes by and two teams have changed leagues. Yeah. And, and that's what that's the, the problem here is there's two problems that I see. One is these changes are happening so fast that there's no time for anything to settle before – it, you can even have a legitimate conversation about how the postseason should look. And two is that the same people who are dictating the changes in conferences and the and, 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 and the super leagues and the growth of the Big Ten and the SEC compared to like the Pac-12, which is going away, are the same people that are ultimately influencing the conversations of the playoff. The, the college football playoff discussion should be reserve it should almost be like a supreme court where it's supposed to be a group of people that decide what's best for the game of college football in the postseason and is not influenced by you know these commissioners who are trying to gobble up teams and kill all their conferences and stab each other in the back because that's really all it's going to do is create the same rush for bigger and more money and more revenue and bigger conferences and crushing the smaller conferences and Bigger teams get more spots and smaller teams get get shafted. It's just going to create the same ecosystem, and it already is, in the playoffs. And it really should be 
the selection committee, the group that determines the outlook of college football in the postseason, should be a group that has minimized political ties to certain schools and certain conferences. Let whoever you want to be on the selection committee, but the group that decides what the college football postseason looks like shouldn't be these TV executives and conference commissioners who are churning the state of college football so much. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So what you're going to see is what we're seeing in college football. There are going to be two power leagues. Maybe the Big 12 survives, and the SEC and the Big 10 are going to say they're the biggest and the best, and therefore they deserve the most playoff spots. And and you're going to have a bunch of uh, a bunch of those teams in however big the playoff is, and maybe you'll throw in a little bit of a Cinderella. Maybe maybe another team will get in. Why do they have to have any sort of conference reserved spots anyway? Why don't they just say whether it's 12 or 16? The committee decides those teams, and those are the teams that get in. Because then you would open the door for the committee to have to make a tough call on an undefeated lesser conference team, and maybe they would put them in above you know, the fourth or fifth best team from the Big Ten. You shouldn't have to guarantee spots for those leagues at all. Um, yet that's what we're going to see because these are the people making these decisions. It's all stuff that we didn't need. We, we didn't need a, a playoff in the first place. We got one. I think back to, and maybe a little before your time, I think you. I think you'll remember the 2009 Big 12 championship. It was Texas and Nebraska, and it was funny because this past year in the playoff, it was almost deja vu all over again because Texas got this phantom second left on the clock, and they were able to kick yeah. uh, the game-winning field goal to beat Nebraska. If they don't make that kick, Nebraska wins, and TCU out of the Mountain West goes to the BCS championship game. And there was always, oh, you know, it, it's it's just this exclusive club. It, the, the little guy can't make it to the BCS. And that was just not true. And Mizzou was a win of the Big 12 championship game themselves away from going to the BCS. They had an automatic berth in 07 waiting for them if they win. And in 2013, they needed some help. But had they beaten Auburn, and I think it was the Big Ten championship that night, Mizzou would have wound up in, in the BCS title game then as well. The, the playoff has already been here. It's been the conference championships. It's been the last few weeks of the regular season, and it's just going to be this vast wasteland, and we, we rob Peter to pay Paul. I, I, I'm not going to deny it, Ben. Those four on-site playoff games next year are going to be awesome. But we took those away from on site during the season where one of the we're, we're we're taking what would have been an awesome regular season game away to put it on campus somewhere in December that's my belief on that and ultimately you gain four more neutral site games than the final week neutral site neutral site stinks for college football give me less of that give me more on-campus, on-site games. And maybe that's to come down the line, and maybe that could save part of what looks like a, just a complete boondoggle and money grab for a lot of folks. But uh, I, I think the soul of college football is uh, is slowly getting sucked out of it. And, and now what was, a, again, a bad idea, in my estimation to begin with, is now just getting progressively worse as we see, Ben, this all play out in front of us. I know... On that plane, I think we we disagree, but um, I, I just think this was all 
completely unnecessary and maybe there were some tinkers that had to happen along the way instead um the, the college football playoff regular the college football regular season's just about dead it's going to more resemble the nhl and nba and again in the name of more football and more playoff football but that's just not quite as fun as on-campus games throughout the regular season and a lot of people would disagree but then in a few years, you're going to realize that this just doesn't feel the same. And now we're going to know why. Yeah, I think the, I guess it's it, 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 the, the tail or the dog. To me, this what this conversation about, well, expand it beyond 12 all of a sudden when they've never played a 12 game is more of a reflection of how the conference realignment has happened again and less about the playoff. The playoff is chasing the realignment. Um, I think if the, if, if, if the Pac-12 would have stayed together, which it should have, there was nothing wrong with the right. Pac-12, if it had a competent commissioner, um, it probably would still be there. Unfortunately, the, the Big Ten and the SEC have ruined the Pac-12 because they are totally out to to save themselves and to be the strongest. Uh, and that's what's driving all of this. The, the playoff didn't do this. The playoff is trying to keep up with what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are doing and these school presidents that are deciding, well, we don't know what to do, so I guess we'll try to get into the Big Ten or the SEC. To me, if the Pac-12 existed and we had a 12-team college football playoff next year, I'd be as excited about the college football playoff postseason as I've ever been. Because I think, and my argument on this has always been the same, it starts from a different place, the current postseason for college football is dead. If you're not in the college football playoff, the bowl games are meaningless, outside of a few. Um, Cotton Bowl, yeah, okay, it's a big deal for Mizzou, but look at how Ohio State treated it they didn't care it's one of the biggest bowl games and of the entire fan base was kind of like meh about it and that's unfortunately what the four-team playoff does is it doesn't capture enough teams up in the magic but it leaves everybody else outside and you're left with all these bowl games that unless you're betting on them you're really they really don't move the needle much for you I don't like that it got to that point, but it had gotten to that point. So to me, that's why expanding the fourth team always made a lot of sense. And I think if you're a program like Mizzou, an expansion of the postseason gives your your season an entirely new sparkle. I think a lot of Missouri fans feel that way entering this season. 16 teams before you play 12, going from 4 to 16, even proposing that is ridiculous. Um, there's been years talked about going to 12, and that's the other problem going on right now. These are big changes, and they used to take years to discuss and and try to adapt and evolve. And there was a there was a too much, you know, dragging of feet to make these changes. And now they're happening, or they're just thrown out there, and they just happen overnight. And we don't know the consequences of of UCLA and, and USC joining the Big Ten, but yet changes are being made now based off of those before they've even happened. And it just seems like they're, and we've talked about this plenty of times, there's no one who is worried about the state of college football at large. And no. all the commissioners are worried about their their, their their conferences. The presidents and athletic directors are worried about their, their schools. Um, no one's worried about the sport. And the same people who say they are are the same ones cashing the checks. And it's going to keep going. They're going to they're gonna drive it off a cliff. It's just a matter of, of how much time before it uh, before they reach the end of it. Ben, I, I had the last word last night. You had it there. That's uh, that's all we got time for tonight. And um, 
we'll uh, we'll have a chance to continue to dig in on this as the as the news warrants, and I have a feeling, unfortunately, it's going to warrant uh, quite a bit. Great stuff today, sir, uh, all the way around, and we'll uh, we'll yank at you Sunday. Sounds good, man. The good news is it'll change in a week from now, so save some some of your anger. (laughs) Folks, we'll uh, see you Sunday. Mizzou basketball tomorrow morning, 1030 here. Early recap call for that one on the Big 550.